Our text for today comes from Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, my wife just informed me that my child spit up, so if you see anything on my shirt, just disregard it. All right. All right. Well, it's good to have you here this morning at Grace Community. I just want to echo a couple things that Ashley said before we get started. Tonight is Pathways, um, which is our service that we have usually the first Sunday or first or second Sunday of the month, first part of the month, where we set aside some time specifically to uh, have a little bit uh, of an extended time of prayer and body ministry along with communion. Uh, And along with that, we do have a small teaching. I usually do a small teaching on Pathways Nights. And this year, we're going to do a four-part series on the Holy Spirit. So tonight, we're going to be asking the question, is the Holy Spirit a person? And we're going to be answering that question for you tonight. So if you've ever wondered about that, then you can come and join us. And secondly, um, next Sunday, Pastor Daniel Quimby... Kimby, I couldn't barely pronounce it, uh, will be speaking. He'll be finishing up our series A Whole New Way, and then, then the following series, we are going to begin our series on politics. Gird your, gird your loins. Gird your loins. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> don't gird your loins. That's a weird thing to say. That's a weird thing for your pastor to say. We are not going to tell you who to vote for, all right? We are not uh, going to get down into the nitty-gritty of the, uh, the political cycle that we tend to have in our, uh, in our very contentious political environment. But uh, I do firmly believe that as followers of Jesus, we ha- should have a, dis- a distinctly different approach to politics than that of those who don't follow Jesus. And Jesus actually lived in a time, if believe it or not, that was more politically contentious than ours, actually much more. And so I think he has some things to say to us about how it is we navigate politics in our time. And so we are going to uh, hopefully deftly wade into that uh, for three weeks at the end of September, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, But today we are continuing our series called A Whole New Way, which is all about the way of life that Jesus invites us into. You know that Jesus does invite us into a way of life, not just to a set of beliefs, but into an actual way of living. And today we're tackling one of his more radical and paradoxical teachings. You heard Ashley read it earlier. It is the invitation to deny ourselves, to lose our lives, to die to self, to take up our cross, and to follow him. And in a culture like ours, where personal fulfillment is viewed as a moral right, the invitation of Jesus to die to ourselves is quite possibly the most radical and least followed teaching in all of the New Testament. Everything in our culture conspires to tell us that our primary responsibility in life is to seek our own self-satisfaction and happiness. This is true. Americans are radical individualists, and we are radically self-centered people. Our self-centeredness is so complete that we don't even realize how prevalent the belief actually is. 
It's just kind of the water we swim in. We're like fish, and we're swimming in water. Uh, think about some of the most common encouragements we give to our young people, right? What do we tell our kids all the time in culture? Follow your heart, right? This is what we tell kids. It's one of the most common things we tell them. Growing up, my favorite movie was uh, The Sandlot. Anybody? Sandlot? You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> you play ball like a girl. I don't know. what. You, if, you, if you've seen it, you know. Um, there is actually this weird scene in The Sandlot uh, where Benny the Jet Rodriguez is visited by the ghost of Babe Ruth. He kind of walks out of his closet. Uh, and the great Bambino gives Benny... Uh, an inspirational speech that eventually helps him realize that in order to get a baseball back from this uh, from offense he's going to have to pickle the beast and if that sounds like something out of the book of revelation just go on youtube and watch the movie it's great uh, uh, you can go watch it whenever you want but right before babe ruth walks back into the closet and disappears he says this to benny <laughs> this only makes sense if you've seen the movie uh, remember kid there's heroes and there's legends heroes get remembered but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. Follow your heart, kid, and you're, you'll never go wrong. This is what we tell our children, isn't it? I was watching uh, television two days ago, and I saw an E-Trade commercial. I think it, was, it might not have been E-Trade, but some online trading app or service. And this commercial basically said, you live in a personalized world. You live in a world where you get everything the way you want it. So why shouldn't your trading be that way as well? And it showed a picture of like somebody getting the exact type of latte they wanted and getting the exact type of news they wanted and getting the exact type of thing they wanted. It's basically this idea that in our world, our experience is curated towards our wants and desires. You, have you ever heard the phrase, the customer is always right? Have you ever gone, you know that that's not a, a cultural value that all cultures hold? One of my best friends, uh, in high school, grew up in China. He was a missionary kid. And he said to me one time, Nick, in China, the customer is not always right. In China, like, the person providing the service is always right, and if you don't like it, you can get out, right? <laughs> Which sounds funny to us, but this, this, in our culture, we have this self-centered view of everything, that we are the center of the universe, that all we need to do is kind of follow our heart and to make, our, make ourselves, to form our, our own identities. We are purely, in some sense of the word, a, a navel-gazing people. We are focused on our own ends, our own purposes. And in a culture like that, the sentiment that Jesus gives in Matthew 16 is like a brick dropped, hits like a brick dropped from like a three or four story building. Hits with a thud, doesn't it? We don't even know what to do with this teaching of Jesus. We don't know what it means. You mean the best thing I can do with my life may not be to seek self-fulfillment and happiness? You mean the way of life that Jesus invites me into isn't in fact all about me? What are you talking about? Well, the truth of the matter is that, yes, this is what Jesus is teaching, yes. Central to the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is the idea that in order to truly find ourselves, in order to find true fulfillment, purpose, and passion, in order to find life to the full, is the language that Jesus uses, we got to die. And that sounds like a very th strange thing to say today, doesn't it? kind of radical, actually, in our world. Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, 
Uh, but death is the opposite of life, right? Self-denial, at least in the moment, feels like the opposite of self-fulfillment, right? It is counterintuitive. It is paradoxical. Yet Jesus is unequivocal in his assertion that death to self is the best way to go. And Jesus does not simply tell us this. He doesn't just say it with his mouth. He actually models it for us. In fact, all throughout Jesus's life and ministry, he displays a kind of self-denial to his followers. He puts this posture on display, and he teaches about it in some really interesting ways. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching about this idea that he is a good shepherd. Any of you ever raised sheep? Okay, we got some, so this is great. We're in Iowa. We got shepherds in the, in the house. This is awesome. Um, I've never raised a thing uh, except children, <laughs> which counts. <laughs> poorly. I've raised them poorly, but I'm raising them. Obviously, a shepherd is someone who leads sheep, right? Who tells sheep where to go in order to find water, and I assume grass, sheep eat grass, right? I don't know. I see they could eat, maybe they eat oats. I'm not sure. Is that a horse? Yes. Uh, regardless, a shepherd's purpose is obviously to keep sheep alive, right? A shepherd leads sheep. They, they help them survive, much like we do our children. And so Jesus compares himself to a good shepherd, a shepherd that will lead his, lead his sheep in a good direction. And as he's describing himself as a good shepherd in John chapter 10, this is what he says. He says, they too, and by they he means his sheep, will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and take, and, and take authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Kind of a strange thing for Jesus to say here as a shepherd, right? Somebody who's, who is asking people to follow him. The, this shepherd that we are supposed to be following is Jesus, but we follow him into this kind of non-self-directed, non-self-focused, non-egotistical way of living. Rather than living in that way, Jesus says, Jesus models for us a posture of listening or paying attention to his Father, of being directed by his Father, by Father God. And Jesus, is mod and Jesus models this notion for us uh, down to laying down his life, actually. Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And so Jesus is setting himself as a good shepherd, as a leader who can be trusted, but he shows us that the way in which we are to trust him, the way in which we are to follow him is by modeling this way of laying down our lives, not grasping, hold tight, not grasping them, not holding tightly to them, but rather laying them down. And this uh, way that he says is not a self-directed life, right? It's not, a, it's not a life directed by my heart, my emotions, my desires, my will, my ingenuity, it is rather a life directed by God. It is a God-directed life towards God-directed ends. And laying down our lives, uh, it is about being directed by God and also laying down our lives for others, seeking, not seeking our own benefit or well-being. 
But this, Jesus' teaching on this doesn't just stop here with this teaching of the Good Shepherd. He actually teaches it over and over and over again, this idea of laying down one's life in the Gospels. So much so that he begins to say multiple times that he's going to lay his life down. That he's, he's actually going to, in some way, shape, or form, put his, lay his life down. That he's going to sacrifice himself, in some sense, for his followers, or for people, or for the cosmos. The way he's talking about this gets bigger and more grand as it goes throughout the Gospels. And the people who are listening to Jesus as he is saying this tend to not believe him or just kind of ignore him, which is very interesting. When Jesus says, I'm going to lay my life down, people don't really pay attention to it because they don't assume that it's going to happen, but it does. It does. Jesus eventually lays his life down completely, dying on the cross. And on the cross, his final words recorded in Luke's gospel are this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He does not seek his own life. He does not value his own well-being. Rather, Jesus' model models an active trust or a faith in Father God. And in that moment, Jesus shows his followers unequivocally the truth that on the other side of laying one's laying down one's life is a resurrection. It is the great paradox of the kingdom of God in the scriptures. And the invitation of Jesus for us is to follow him into this paradoxical way of living, of finding our lives by laying them down. But the question that settles into the front of my mind when I read this, and what I kind of wrestled with this week, and is probably settling into yours, unless you're thinking about your fantasy football team this afternoon, is how do I do that? What, how do I actually lay my life down? Practically speaking, how do I deny myself? How do I lose my life in order to find it? Like, what are, what are the three steps that I need to do in order to, in order to make this happen? Right? It's a good question. And Jesus' instructions, when, especially when he gives them in these kind of radical ways that he gives this teaching, can sometimes feel to us just like a kind of vague spiritual teaching. It doesn't seem like it has real handholds for our regular everyday life. We can just kind of move past it and assume it's just kind of some spiritual language about a spiritual thing I need to do, and we can think very often that it doesn't have real-world uh, application for me. Does this make sense? Because it's hard. It's difficult. It, it's, it's, it feels philosophical and spiritual. It's hard to get our arms around it. And yet, and yet, I think, there is a, this teaching of Jesus applies in some really interesting ways in our everyday lives. And it has, I think, implications in our everyday lives that we're not even aware of. You know, Jesus teaches us that to be the, the way of life, the way to life, is not to be self-focused and individualistic and egocentric, but is rather, rather to lay down our lives and be directed by something greater than ourselves, right? This is the teaching of Jesus. And yet we live in this world where this egocentrism has taken hold. And one of the writers who uh, I've found has been a very, um, a very astute cultural critic in this regard is a guy named David Brooks. He's an op-ed writer for the New York Times. Uh, you can hear, you, he, he's written a couple books that are really, really good if you're interested in that. But uh, he wrote in an article called The Five Lies Our Culture Tells. And in this article, uh, he basically says that our country is going through a kind of spiritual crisis that is making us sick. 
And he identifies five lives that are based in American culture that are making us sick. And here are the five of them. I think I have them on the screen for you. Uh, I think. Yeah, there they are. So, number one, career success is fulfilling. These are the five lies. This is, a, this is something we believe, isn't it? I can make myself happy. You can't. <laughs> here, I'm here to make you feel good today. Uh, life is an individual journey. This is, a, this, is a, this is something we believe. You have to find your own truth. This is a lie that we believe. And finally, rich and successful people are worth more than poorer and less successful people, right? And if, these are so plain, and we so, we so plainly believe them, that when we see them on the screen in this really kind of clear way, we go, you're right. <laughs> we do think this. Why is that? The reason we believe these lies, the reason we think this way, is because we have, we have imbibed, we have believed the gospel of our secular age, which is functionally that you are the center of the universe, or that I am the center of the universe, and that my sole end, my sole purpose in life is to seek my own good. And if we believe that, if we've imbibed that gospel, if we've walked that gospel out, these are the natural things that are going to happen. These are the lies that we are going to perpetuate in our lives, right? Brooks finishes his essay with this little quote that I thought was really good. He says, we've taken the lies of hyper-individualism and we've made them the unspoken assumptions that govern how we live. We talk a lot about, a political rev about the political revolution we need. The cultural revolution is more important. I would submit to you that if the teachings of Jesus about, uh, about dying to ourselves have any implications for our lives, if it has any practical handholds for us, it should at the very least fight against these five cultural beliefs that are simply all over the place, Right? So if we want to turn away from this culture of self-seeking radical individualism and turn towards Jesus' way of laying down our lives, where do we start? Where do we start that process? It can be very complicated. It can take a long time to disentangle our hearts and our minds from a culture of, uh, of, of a self-focused culture. But the place to begin, I think, is simply to make the proclamation Proclamation is a big word for profession, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. In our culture of radical individualism, we have made ourselves the Lord. We have made ourselves the kind of God of our own lives. We worship ourselves. Just look at how much money we spend on, like, self-care and working out and skincare products, Right? Uh, my hair was, I thought my hair was thinning a few, a few, like a few years ago. Here, real talk. I thought my hair was thinning. It's not, but I thought it was because I'm egocentric. And I was like, Ashley, what am I supposed to do about this? And she said, there's a shampoo for that. I said, get that shampoo, buy it now. <laughs> and then I felt guilty for using it. Like I was, like I was... <laughs> I shouldn't have used this analogy, uh, this story. Uh, I felt guilty for using it, like I was vain or something, right? Like I was vain, like I should have just shaved my head like an ascetic and gone for it, right? 
But the truth of the matter is, is we spend all kinds of money on this stuff. We, we, everything is about perception, isn't it? Everything is about the way I look. Everything is about me, me, me. And yet, the central proclamation of the New Testament church in the, in the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord and that no one else is. Not me, not Caesar, not the governing authority, not culture, not that celebrity you look to. Jesus is Lord, and what he says about life is what really and truly matters. And if you can get your, your vision off of yourself just long enough to acknowledge that there is someone else higher than me who I can acknowledge as Lord and thus look to rather than to myself for direction, that is, I think, the beginning of what it means to move away from this egocentric self and to move towards a denial of self that leads to life. You know, these three little words, Jesus is Lord, this little phrase was incredibly important for the New Testament church. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, to add, if somebody asked you, what's the gospel in three little words? It is this, these three little words, Jesus is Lord. And in the first century, these three words were not just, um, were not just about uh, who you ascribe worth to, right? To say Jesus was Lord was a kind of politically incendiary thing to say because the primary thing that in the New Testament, the primary person who, who we were told in the New Testament was Lord was Caesar. And so to say that Jesus was Lord could get you killed. To say that Jesus' way of life is better than any other way of life could get you into hot water, especially when it was compared to Caesar. But Christians carried this little mantra, this little belief, this, little, this mini gospel in one phrase, Jesus is Lord, and they, they carried it wherever they, they went. They, they, they proclaimed it, they, they spoke it, and they lived it out with their lives. And to, to believe this, to, to truly believe this, that there is a leader in my life other than myself, whom I follow, that I don't live a self-directed life, I rather live a Jesus-directed life, and that, I, and then I, that is, I believe, the beginning of what it means to lay down our lives. You see, the, the process of laying down our lives, the process of not looking to ourself as our leader is not a quick process. It's one that takes time in our culture. It's one, it's, 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 it's delicate. It's nuanced. It requires us to walk through our life and to dig up parts of our hearts and to discover there that we are actually self-focused and that the true way to life is to be focused on something else, something bigger, something greater than ourselves. The proclamation that Jesus is Lord doesn't just turn us away from ourselves, but it also draws us close to him, to Jesus. It helps us to decouple our identities, our significance from ourselves or from what we've accomplished or from the way we view ourselves or from the fact that our hair may or may not be thinning. It allows us to find our significance, our identity, our purpose in the person of Jesus and to not look at ourselves. And in that, I believe, is a kind of freedom, a true and real kind of freedom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, um, the theologian and martyr, says it this way, 
To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way. Keep close to him. He leads the way. Keep close to him. And so if I have one encouragement for you this morning, it's just that. Who leads your life? Who are you keeping close to? What, what are you clinging to this morning? For uh, what, what are you pursuing this morning? Maybe a better way of putting it. Other than Jesus, in order to make you feel good, in order to make you feel valuable, in order to make you feel worthwhile. That thing, while for, for, a, for a short period of time might bring you some uh, level of peace, will ultimately let you down. It will ultimately be a kind of lie that where your life will turn in on itself, will kind of fold in on itself, and everything will become more narrow and self-focused. But in sticking close to Jesus, in making the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, in pegging our life to that reality and to the teachings of Jesus, what we find is that though in the mo- what in the moment may look like death, what in the moment may look like self-denial, actually opens up into a kind of broad and spacious place. Actually opens up into a kind of beautiful life that expresses itself in all of these interesting and self-giving ways. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it sure just looked like death, didn't it? But three days later, there was a resurrection. And Jesus invites you, and he invites me, and he invites everyone you've ever met in your life into this way of being, into this mode, into this same pattern of life that on the surface might look like death. And from, a, and, and from the perspective of a culture that's, that is completely and utterly self-focused, looks a little crazy. But on the backside of that self-denial, on the backside of looking to Jesus for leadership, what we actually find is a kind of life and life to the full. It turns out to be a whole new way, a whole new way to live, a whole new way to be, a whole new way to think. And it, and, it, and it ends in a kind of unspeakable joy, a kind of unspeakable joy. And so this morning, the invitation is just that, to look to Jesus, to find our lives' purpose and significance in the person of Jesus, to make the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, to look away from ourselves, to die to ourselves even, that we might live in the light of the sun. So would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father, we love you. And we thank you for this teaching, this way of life that you invite us into. Not a way of life that is totally self-focused, that is totally focused on what I can accomplish and what I can achieve. uh, That is not totally focused on me following my own desires and passions, God, but is rather focused on you. That is focused on a way of life that that doesn't feed my ego, God, but rather um, 
rather feeds my desire, my love for you. And so, God, in this place today, we pray that as we go out into a a world that is completely, almost purely self-focused, it's just It's just six billion people looking in the mirror, basically. We pray that you would help us to be a people who embrace this radical teaching to not be self-focused, but self-giving. To not be be self-directed, but directed by Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would give us the strength to do this. We pray that you would reveal to us ways in which we have lived our lives that were purely self-focused. And we ask that you would uh, illuminate in our hearts and in our minds today and this week the way in which you are calling us away from that and towards a better way. And so we thank you for this teaching. We thank you for today, and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. We ask that as we go from this place today, your love and your peace would go with us. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Well, we hope to see you back tonight at 530 for Pathways. And uh, go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks.